listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show host and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. And now, here's your hosts. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Arik, and joining me is my co-host, Mr. Lorenzo Reyna. How's it going, Lorenzo? Folks, sometimes in life, mistakes are made, and, you know, we had some outtakes before the show, but, you know, <laughs> luckily, we're getting the ball rolling. I'm telling you, man. Uh, it's, been, it's been one of those days. Lorenzo and I have been, uh, this, is, this is our second podcast recording, and for some reason, I kept trying to introduce the other podcast. <laughs> so it, <it's laughs> you, just, you get used to that sometimes. It, you know, it just happens that way. I mean, we, we're, we're, we're geared up for football. We got one game under our belt already, and Lorenzo, yeah. it was the Fresno State-Nebraska game, and you know, it ended up being a closer game for three quarters than most people thought it was going to be. I and, agree. And and then, but then, you know, things started to kind of fall apart for Fresno State towards the end, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, but first, there was, you know, there's one act that happened during this game that everybody is talking about. And it's a it's a great show of sportsmanship. It's a you know it was a great tribute to a, a fallen player, and you know it was concerning Nebraska's uh, player that passed away uh, from a car accident, I believe. Yeah, punter. Uh, the punter, and so they did what we like to call the missing man formation. And Lorenzo, you know, tell everybody a little bit more about it. Yeah. So basically, um, during this game. To honor, sometimes when you honor a fallen player, you go with that missing man formation. I've seen it with the Washington Redskins when they honored Sean Taylor a few years ago. USC also honored a place kicker who had died in a in a drowning accident. So Nebraska not only doing their part, but you know there was also a tremendous show of support and sportsmanship on the Fresno State side. Yeah, and uh, you know it was uh, something that the the coaching staff of Fresno State already knew about. They they were given the heads up at the beginning of the game, um, and so that you know they were going to be lining up minus the punter uh, if Fresno State was able to you know get them into a punting situation. And lo and behold, on the first series, Fresno State was able to hold them, and out came the punting unit uh, minus the punter. Now, they took a delay of game um, penalty, but Fresno State chose to decline the penalty uh, as an act of uh, sportsmanship and to honor the player. So, And that's, that's going over very well with the Nebraska community. But, you know, to me, it's really a no-brainer. I mean, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, not only that. Sam Fultz was the name of the punter passed on in. I'm reading um, some of the praise that um, Fresno State has had for for Nebraska. Um, You know, Fresno State on Twitter is saying a big thank you to the Nebraska fans who um, reached out and said a thank you for declining that penalty and just basically praising how classy um, the whole scenario was. And as it was, there were numerous Fresno State fans who attended the game who went on social media just raving about how friendly the Nebraska fan base is, which, you know, you don't always see very often in college sports because, as you know, Lucio, a lot of fans can get downright nasty. But, 
you know, it definitely wasn't that way out in Lincoln and especially in honoring Mr. Fultz. So, you know, it's definitely one of those moments that will play on forever. And, you know, definitely one of the highlight moments for what's been a weekend full of highlights on college football, Zan. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of the Nebraska fans are actually turning to our boards over here at thebarkboard.com and are, are showing their appreciation uh, not only for for the Fresno State University as a whole for, for doing what they did during the game, uh, but also to the fans who also uh, showed their respects that in, during the game who attended the game. So uh, there's a, a, a big you know, outpour from the Nebraska community, uh, you know, giving thanks to, to Fresno State and the, its fans. So, And as it is, too, I don't know if you watched the game, but there is another image that was pretty powerful that played on during the Fresno State-Nebraska game, especially in honoring Fultz. There was actually a rainbow over Memorial Stadium. I mean, it's definitely the kind of stuff that you just can't make up. It, and it's the kind of stuff that gives you chills when you think about it. So uh, it, it just gives you uh, something to think about that, that, you know, that player, uh, you know, is watching and uh, was thankful for what what was done for him. Um, so, you know, that's that was the, the touching part of of the whole game. Uh, but, you know, moving on, you know, to to the to the meat and potatoes of that game. Fresno State actually stuck around for the first three quarters. Now, it, it seemed like, you know, they were on the verge of possibly pulling off an upset in the first three quarters until the tide started to turn. I think the key moment of that whole game was when uh, the late hit that happened uh, on, on Fresno State's quarterback that potentially knocked them out of the game for a certain point. And and I think that's when the whole thing turned around, don't you think, Lorenzo? Or you know, what it's, it's crazy because from what from what, what I was listening to on the radio, I mean, I couldn't, I wasn't able to get the um, the actual game on television, but I had to follow along on radio. I really felt like Zach Klein was pretty efficient when he was in, and you know, Fresno State made the decision to go back to Virgil, who was already beaten and rattled. So you know, to me, there's that question mark about. Why couldn't you have just stuck with Klein, who was already like firing on all cylinders, and just leading some respectable drives and respectable like forward progress with Fresno State? So you know, there's there's that question I had to beg. Well, up until that point, um, you know, Virgil was looking pretty good. He was very mm-hmm. calm, poised in the pocket. Uh, he was looking off receivers, throwing the ball, and and was throwing it with relative accuracy. But you know, when once once Virgil returned in the second half, he looked like a totally different player. Now he, that's what happens after a hit. Usually, he wanted to say that the he was fine after the injury. There was nothing going on after that injury. But you know, sitting back and actually watching it, you could tell there was something different. The mm-hmm. he he was his passes weren't on the money. He was throwing behind receivers. His deep ball was nowhere near any of the receivers. And uh, he just looked rattled, um, and you know either the the shoulder injury was giving him a, a problem getting that ball down, you know, thrown accurate, or he just kept hearing footsteps. So I'm not really sure which one it was. So it, it you know you could I'm tell sure, the difference. I'm sure I'm sure those were questions that were brought up um, when you attended the press conference about you know how healthy is Jason Virgil 
and you know was he rattled that sort of thing so i mean i wouldn't doubt that these are questions that people especially in the media are still asking oh yeah and and you know as a fan base everyone is kind of questioning the move to uh to put him back in especially when klein had had made had moved the ball down the field very very quickly and was in position to score until you know something happened and between him between the quarterback and the coaching staff they kind of forgot about the clock <laughs> i mean yeah uh, there's that too that one that one still baffles me and it baffles a lot of the the red wave out there as to what happened there now you know questions have been asked to to the coaching staff to coach Tim DeRuder as to why they didn't take a timeout there uh, and DeRuder pretty much said you know we thought he was going to snap the ball you know, at what point do you kind of like, as a coach, take the time out whether or not he snapped the ball or not? I mean, I you kind of it kind of leaves you scratching your head. I mean, you start off the play with like thirty eight seconds, and before you know it, it's down to like three. I mean, clock management. I mean, you know what? Here's the thing. In a lot of ways, I feel like clock management is more on the head coach, not so much on the players on the field. It's more on the head coach for being able to have that kind of sense of urgency. So, I mean, when I when I was listening to that play, and I'm sure you had a little bit more of a clearer view when you were watching it on TV, I mean, it sounded too much like, you know, it was a mishap on the Rooter's part. Well, you, you really can't blame uh, the backup quarterback. I mean, he's coming into this game you know, right off the bench, his adrenaline's pumping. So he's not really paying too much attention to the clock, even though he should have. But at the same time, that's the coach's responsibility to take that timeout. You know, mm-hmm. if, if the if the quarterback's not doing it, especially the backup quarterback, you know, that's where the coach next to the ref can just, you know, give me a timeout. You know, stop the clock. I mean, really. <laughs> but again, you know. Uh, that's why I don't coach the ball, the games. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's why people like us just sit here and talk about <laughs> what went wrong, and you know we 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 feel like those questions are more for diverting. He understands that he's in a position where there's going to be lots of questions, lots of scrutiny, and lots of people inquiring minds wondering, you know, what were you thinking on this play? How come you didn't you didn't properly use clock management? How come you went with this quarterback? That sort of thing. Now, granted that 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 miscue there ended up having Fresno State kicking a field goal and going in uh, to halftime down by four, I believe. Had they yeah fourteen to ten. Had they gone in and uh, actually scored a touchdown, it would have been dead even, and you know it would have changed the feel of the whole game um, in the second half. But uh, you know there was. Going into this game, there was a lot of questions at certain positions, and I, I feel like we got some of those answers. Um, you know, the number one question going into this game was, is the defense really that good or the offense really that bad? And to tell you the truth, it's kind of yes and no. Um, the it still def- is to this day. The defense is good, just not good enough to withstand three, you know, not, not good enough to, to carry the team for four quarters. Yeah, but you know what? That tends to happen to teams that rely a lot on defense. I mean, unfortunately, at some point, the defense is going to run out of gas. And, you know, on the opposite side, they're going to start just kicking in a second gear. I mean, I've seen that happen over the years and watching different college football games. Same thing with even NFL games as well. So, you know, I know you had that question about, you know, is either the offense that bad or is the defense that good? 
I don't want to say that the offense is that bad right now because it's still early in the season, but there needs to be signs of improvement going forward. Well, I felt like the offense actually was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, after watching all of fall camp, uh, the defense just dominating the offense all fall camp, uh, I thought the, you know the offense actually did better than I expected for them to do. Now, one thing that they're going to really have to work on heading into the, to the next game, and, and they're going to have to work on it a lot, is going to be the receivers holding on to the ball. Yes. I, there was a number of times where the ball was right on the money, hit the receivers in the hands, and they dropped it. I mean, it, what else can you ask the quarterback to do? He's got you the ball right at, and hits you in the hands. you got to catch it. You got to not only catch. that, you're going against a Nebraska defense with the main strength of secondary. So, you know, if you're going to drop balls, Nebraska's secondary is going to make you pay for it. And they did. <laughs> I mean, they did. I mean, because a couple of those times, well, one of those times, the ball hit him right on the hands, deflected off, and it turned into an interception. Now, you can't fault the quarterback for that one. Yeah. Yes, the pass was a little bit high and behind the receiver, but it hit him in the hands. Mm-hmm. If it hits you in the hands, catch the dang ball. Yeah, you're you're you you got you got a scholarship to catch footballs. They're not they didn't give you a scholarship to drop them. Now, especially especially in that scenario. Now, granted, it is a young receiving core, uh, and they're still trying to figure out their way around. Uh, but you know, at, at some point, they're going to have to step up because it, it looks like this year it's going to be all about the passing. Uh, I hate mm-hmm. to say it that it's going to be a one dimensional team, but it looks more and more. Like it's going to happen to be that way, at least for the early part of the season, where Fresno State's going to have to use the pass to set up the run. I mean, yeah, usually- unfortunately, and, and you know, it gets out of what Fresno State was hoping to do with trying to go back to the power running game that was the main staple under Pat Hill. Well, unfortunately, because of how depleted you are at the running back position, I mean, unfortunately, you do find yourself in a situation where you have to scrap what you originally had in mind and go with something completely different. Now, usually it's the other way around. The, the run sets up the, the pass. But you know what? It looks like they're going to have to use the pass to kind of soften up that, that, the defense to allow more running lanes to, to occur. Because, uh, you know, Fresno State is really low on numbers as far as the running back position. And here's the thing, too, when you also got to look at it. I mean, Dante James, DeJounte O'Neal, two running backs right there, they're not really built to go in between the tackles at this level. I mean, to me, I feel like O'Neal needs another year, another year in the weight room, and kind of similar case with James as well. I mean, you're better off trying to run either draw plays, toss sweeps, or even some counter runs. Now, the, the, there is some good news. The Fresno State's One of Fresno State's running backs, I, right now the name escapes me as to which one, but it looks like it's one of the injured running backs is playing is you know practicing you know getting there i i'm not sure i'll have to kind of look up and see which running back that is but uh they're very near to getting another one of those running backs to to join uh the team as far as you know at the running back position to add some depth so uh you know it's uh hopefully that'll happen this upcoming week I mean, because they could really use the the running back, and I, I believe it's Savion Johnson, who mm-hmm. who looks like he is practicing this week and could uh, and could possibly see some game time this uh, this upcoming game. So you know, it's something to, to watch out for. But you know, as far as the rest of the offense, 
uh, you know, one thing that I'm a little disappointed was they did not get the tight ends a little, you know, more involved than they should have. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, if you're going to be a passing offense, I mean, you do have to get the tight end involved. Whether if they're lining up in a two-point stance or they're on the line in a three-point stance, at some point you got to get the tight ends involved because it's like, you know, you bring in Joe Bernardi to coach the tight ends, you bring in guys like Olsen, and then you you put Kyle Reddering in a position where he moves out of the offensive line and converts over to tight end. It's like, well, you know, are you using it just to say you're using it or are you actually going to really employ the tight end? So, you know, this is definitely a good week to actually get that going. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think that using the tight end uh, as kind of like a, um, you know, just a dump off option will help alleviate some of that uh, that pass rush that comes up against them. Uh, and, uh, you know, why not? you got the talent at tight end. It, it's deep at tight end. Use them. I mean, that's what they're there for. Exactly. Uh, another position that kind of held up better than I expected was the offensive line. The offensive line looked to to have hold you know held together a lot better than I expected them, especially since this is a squad that's pretty thin as far as the depth chart is concerned um, at the offensive line. So that's going to be one that we're going to have to keep an eye on just to see how they develop. But you know, for me, I give them a good grade as far as the offensive line this past game. So you know, I. I can actually, I mean, I'm with you. I could probably give them maybe like a B minus if I were to do a grading scale because, as you know, Nebraska is traditionally a defensive line school and they're known for having huge, like, huge size all across the board. And as young as that group was, and even despite what the score indicated, I actually thought they held their own against Nebraska's big boys. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the offensive line did not lose this game. The, you know... I hate to say it, but the wide receivers really was probably the weakest point of this of this whole Bulldog squad. Had they made some of those catches that hit them in the hands, uh, the scoreline could have been very different um, because a lot of those passes were that were dropped were on third down, and, and they were past the first down marker every time. So I don't know. This game could have been a lot different had the wide receivers hauled those passes in, but the offensive line held together just enough to give the quarterback the time to throw the ball. So mm-hmm. what more can you ask for? I mean, they, they did their job. Um, now, another weak point of the, the, the team, again, special teams. Now, this is one that we knew was going to be an issue. Uh, the kickers have been very inconsistent throughout fall camp, and it, it reared its ugly head again, didn't it? I mean, yeah, absolutely. The kicker, the kicker missed one of uh, probably an easy field goal and missed it. So. You know, I, 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 we can't blame it on the kicker. I mean, it was a one-sided game, but still, it's like I mean, I feel like the days of seeing consistent special teams play from Fresno State has become a distant memory. Well, and, but there was a silver lining. Fresno State did block a punt. Now, when was the last time you could remember them doing that? <laughs> it's been like forever. I mean, it, it used to be a norm in the Pat Hill days, and for some reason, it, it hasn't happened lately. But all of a sudden, Fresno State was in the backfield and blocked the punt. I mean, that was that was huge. It kept the momentum in Fresno State's favor uh, in the you know towards halftime, which allowed them to keep the game really close. Uh, if if not for you know maybe if they would have just got the touchdown versus a field goal score line would have been a lot different 
But that was the key play of the game as well for the defensively for Fresno State. And it showed that, you know, they they were being aggressive, which is what a lot of the fans wanted to see. Um, now, they just ran out of steam towards the end of the game. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, but, you know, as far as the defensive line was concerned, that was supposed to be another one of the, the bright spots. That, I, you know, I got mixed feelings with that. They did give a lot of, give up a lot of yardage on the ground, but the, the, the type of defense was more of a, a bend but not break type of defense. And I wouldn't doubt that, you know, that's the, the philosophy at this point of the year, at this early part of the year with Lorenzo Ward. He's probably in a situation where he doesn't want to overwhelm his players with knowing which blitzes to run or what stunts to do. I wouldn't doubt that it's pretty much like line up, know your assignment, play assignment football. Now, one there was one thing on defense that kind of left me scratching my head, uh, and that was the play of Tank Kelly. Um, if you remember, he was the one that uh, got burned deep on that pass play. Um, you know, what leaves me scratching my head was he was not listed anywhere on the two deep. So, mm-hmm. what happened there? Why was Tank Kelly? I don't in know. on that situation. That's what I'm trying to figure out what was going on. And you know, I'm I'm trying to to kind of get a feel for what happened. Was it was it a a, a package coverage that he's always in on or something? I don't know. He Maybe. Had, he Maybe. had a lot of playing time this last game and I'm trying to figure out why when he wasn't even listed on the two deep. So that's something we're trying to dig into to see if maybe there was another injury that we did not know about and we're just we're digging into it. And there, there was another thing, too. I mean, Damari Scott's situation, especially on the eve of this game. Yeah, and that's that's a situation that has not been very uh, – they have not been very forthcoming as to what, what the reason is. So we don't know exactly what the reason is. Uh, although that it is an in, it's an eligibility issue with NCAA – and so that is something we're, we're monitoring, but it does not look like he's going to be cleared for this upcoming game as well. So uh, I don't know. I, we do not know what the situation is with him either. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that and see what, what develops on that. But overall, your overall grade of how the Bulldogs did against Nebraska, what would you give them? out of? Uh, I would give them a solid C, honestly, because you know what? There were some things that they did that, you know, does convince me that this might be a a somewhat improved team. I mean, here's the thing. I felt like last year, too many times Fresno State gave up in games. And it wasn't just the Mississippi game. I mean, I'm looking at games like San Jose State, um, Utah State, Nevada. I felt like that it wasn't until the fourth quarter when Nebraska finally pulled away. But you know what? There was three quarters of respectability and a fight, and you know what? To me, playing four quarters of football, I mean, I feel like that at the college level, it becomes somewhat of a easier fix compared to high school because the thing with high school is that sometimes you're dealing with a numbers game. Sometimes you might have a roster of 60 guys. Sometimes you have a roster of 22. So I feel like because of Fresno State's current death situation, they're capable of actually – Withstanding four quarters, especially as they head into the Mountain West slate. So, you know, I know it's hard to come back from a 43 to 10 loss, but you know what? I think just judging by the performance of the three quarters that Fresno State had at Lincoln, especially in that atmosphere, I wouldn't doubt that there's probably some players who are actually feeling somewhat pretty good about the rest of the season and how it's going to play out. 
Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I, I'm going to give the team maybe a, a B minus, okay? Because they did better than I thought they were going to do. Um, the one things that they're definitely going to need to work on is the running game. They need to figure out something there. I mean, I, I believe they only got like 62 yards the whole game. I mean, it's uh, on 22 carries. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's that's not enough yards. Granted, this you got it. You got to be. You can't be one dimensional. That's it, the thing. Granted, this is probably going to be the best run defense they're going to face all season. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a big difference. And for them to to kind of, there was some bright spots on that offense that gives me hope that this is going to be a different football team this season. And uh, you know we'll we'll really get to see if they're going to open up the playbook this uh, this upcoming week. Well, they're probably not going to open it up too much, you know, the, just to tip their hand off for the following game after that. But they should be able to score on a easier rel- with relatively ease compared to against the Nebraska defense. But you know that's not saying much because didn't Nevada almost just lose a game against Cal Poly? Yep. So, and it gets better. I mean, I don't know if you still want to talk about Nebraska, but you know, in regards to Fresno State's next opponent, they got dropped against a Division two program to start the year. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be, you know, Sacramento State. It should be a, a you know a better game at least at least for the home crowd to see what the here, offense can do. Yeah. Here, here's the thing, and this is my my current assessment of Sacramento State. They're not Nebraska, so Fresno State fans can breathe a sigh of relief. And then, not only that, Sacramento State is coming off the heels of an upset loss against Western Oregon. For anybody who may not be too familiar with Western Oregon, Western Oregon is NCAA Division II. So, it's not often that you see an FCS-level school go down against a Division II program. Now, that's not me saying that Fresno State is is going to have an easy time against Sac State because here's the thing. Here's the thing to keep in mind. Sacramento State is full of guys who were overlooked by Fresno State. They have guys from Visalia. They have guys from Reedley. They have guys from Fresno. They have guys from Clovis. They have guys from Bakersfield. All these guys are probably relishing the opportunity to knock off Fresno State. Yeah, they're going to be coming in with a chip on their shoulder. So it's going to be – and for some reason, you know, these these teams like Sacramento State and uh, and like Cal Poly, they always come in here with a chip on their shoulder and always have to come in they, – they come in with something to prove. And well, it, it's always how it is with FCS-level schools because, you know, Sacramento State's claim to fame right now is that they actually beat Oregon State and Colorado. They already own two victories against some Pac-12 opponents, so – and, you know, they look at schools like a San Jose State, a Fresno State, a Boise State as an opportunity to basically look at them as if they're a Power 5 school and the opportunity to knock them out. And, you know, because of the Central Valley ties that a lot of those players on Sacramento State rosters have, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's going to feel like a home game for those kids. Not just a home game for the Bulldogs, but a home game for some of those Hornet players. Oh, definitely. I mean, they're going to be wanting to come in here and do do something you know, to uh, to just kind of show the world, you know, why didn't you take me? Uh, and so it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, mean, I, I can – I'll be honest with you. You cannot overlook a team like this. Ne- Absolutely not. Nevada almost did it. They they went – they had to go to overtime in order to win against Cal Poly. And then, and then Nevada was celebrating as if they just won a bowl game. So – 
Um, that is. Something. I don't know if you're head coach Brian Poyan, you should have like a nice long chastising moment with your players about that because I can understand celebrating a victory against Boise State because you know what Nevada doesn't often beat Boise State, but to celebrate like that against a school like Cal Poly, well, guess what? On paper, you're supposed to beat a school like Cal Poly. And, and that is a team that we're supposed to kind of struggle against this upcoming season is Nevada. They were supposed to be a team on the rise. So, you know, can the Wolfpack turn it around by the time Fresno State gets there? Well, we'll see. But well, I'm, I'm I mean, hoping Fresno State remember, can keep it going. San Diego, San Diego State was 1-3 before ah, the Fresno right. State game kind of turned the tide for them. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a... Uh, it's definitely not a game to for Fresno State to overlook. So why don't we start to kind of try to break this down? Yeah, so just briefly, I mean, the one key player that Sacramento has and the one guy they're probably going to want to get the football mm-hmm. to, Jalen Ratliff. He scored two touchdowns against Western Oregon. He's their inside receiver. And not only that, he comes from St. Mary's High in Stockton, a traditional power in the Delta, and also the school that produced Josh Harper. So already... There's a young man who wasn't really getting a lot of interest from Fresno State, but ended up going up north to Sac State. Now, I know uh, Sacramento State traditionally is a team, if I remember correctly, they come in here and they usually they, they like to try to run the ball a lot. Do they have kind of a shifty running back? That the- Absolutely. You know what? I mean, it's a deep backfield, but here's another player to mention who's also a local product that people probably are pretty familiar with. Demetrius Warren, former Bullard High standout. He's probably going to be in the mix for this game. Yeah, so it, you know, it's traditionally a, a game where Fresno State. Uh, a, a lot of times when they play these these lower tier schools, they tend to struggle in the first quarter. Why? Mm-hmm. It's I, I'm not really sure, but I think it's because they don't really know what to expect out of these teams, and it gives them it takes them a quarter to kind of get used to them. Yeah, so Warren is a senior. He's actually the second running back on the depth chart. So. You can already kind of envision that Warren is going to see the field during third down scenarios, maybe even in goal line scenarios. And here's another thing, too, to consider. I mean, Warren is a former Bowler High standout. It just so happens that Fresno State has a former Bowler High standout in DeJounte O'Neal. So, you know, Warren was actually the the running back who came before O'Neal. Yeah, so those two, those two are going to probably have something to prove against each other. <laughs> yeah, mean, it's like bullard bragging rights. I, I, I'm telling you. So they're 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 very familiar with each other. And, and uh, here's here's another tidbit about Warren that I should also mention. Demetrius Warren was actually committed to Fresno State. Oh, but here's their kicker though. Warren was committed during the time Pat Hill was there, and when Pat Hill got fired. Warren had said, you know what, I'm still a Bulldog, you know, I, I still plan on being there. But when DeRuder came in, DeRuder pretty much said, well, you know, we're, we're going a different direction. So that's how Warren ended up at Sacramento State. So I wouldn't doubt that Warren has had this game circled down for a very long time. So it was he was one of those players that uh, pretty much got his scholarship offer pulled. Uh, by yeah, pretty much. The DeRuder coaching staff. So, you know, that... Uh, and that's that's saying a lot because uh, if you if you actually go back because that was the first year that DeRuder came in. If you go back, there was a lot of scholarships left un uh, you know unfilled when mm-hmm. DeRuder came in. So it, to me, that does not really it doesn't really make sense for him to do that to pull the scholarship from that kid. 
Uh, and, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't think there's very many kids left from that original uh, recruiting class. No, a lot of those kids actually left the program. So it, it kind of makes you wonder what was he thinking back then. Uh, so, uh, you know, he could have had an, a running back to come in and kind of kind of uh, help with the depth that Fresno State finds uh, themselves in a predicament right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, what do you do? <laughs> now, the passing game for Sacramento State, is, is it going to be – is it one that Fresno State's going to have to watch out for? Or is it, or is Absolutely, because you know they want to get the ball off to Ratliff. But here's another thing to also consider: Nate Ketteringham, the starting quarterback, he's also a dual threat. He was known for making plays with his feet at Centennial High in Corona, which, as you know, is a traditional state powerhouse down in that area. And you know when that offense is clicking, when Ketterman is on Ketteringham is on his game, I mean. They're known to produce a lot of points at Sac State. So it's uh, at least he's a very competent quarterback from what I can tell. I mean, so, uh, but he's going to be tested. You know, the defensive backs for Fresno State, they're, they're no slouches. Now, granted, we did not get a full gauge of what Fresno State uh, defensive backs could do in the Nebraska game because, frankly, Nebraska just ran the ball. <laughs> they didn't really pass the ball much except for that one big play. So, you know, what we're going to see out of these defensive backs, we should be able to get a little bit of a gauge because a team like Sacramento State, they got nothing to lose. But here's the thing now. This is probably like one of the biggest keys for Fresno State, especially on defense heading into this game. In the loss to Western Oregon, Sacramento State was 8 of 20 on third downs, meaning they only got 40% of their third downs. So Fresno State's defense, if they get Sacramento State in a third down scenario, the momentum could swing Fresno State's way. So third down defense, very crucial in this contest. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Fresno State's really going to have to step up in those situations. Um, you know, one thing I'm, I'm kind of wanting to see a little bit more out of Fresno State is uh, the return game. Uh, didn't really get to see much of that. Um, basically... Because uh, they didn't get much of a chance. I think they a lot of those kickoffs were kind of out of their reach, wasn't it? I mean, if I remember yeah. correctly. But you know, going back to Sacramento's passing game, another key receiver to keep an eye on, Isaiah Henney, who led the team with six catches for 73 yards. So he's sort of like that possession guy for Sac State. But, you know, Henney and Ratliff, Ratliff's more of the explosive type. But, you know, those are two guys to account for. You also got Cody Demps who had five catches, 70 yards last game as well. And Demps is a guy who comes from the 916 region. Well, the 916 region just so happens to be a pretty prominent region during the Pat Hill era. So, you know, another guy who kind of slipped through the cracks for Fresno State. So, you know, it's going to be a great matchup to see these guys go up against Taekwon Glass and Jamal Ellis. So, you know, the the, the two corners for Fresno State, they, they you know, the, they'll, they'll be covering these guys like a, like a blanket. So it, their, their hopes is that uh, the corners for Fresno State are going to be able to just shut down the, the wide receivers, allowing um, the rest of the defense to kind of key in and, uh, and kind of slow down the run game. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I think that's going to be the key to this game. Uh, mm-hmm. Fresno State just locking down those corners, uh, allowing the rest of the team to kind of shut down the run. And then, you know, Sacramento State's going to be in a world of hurt. And that's mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the game plan going in at least. Yeah, but again, I mean, obviously Sacramento State's one of those teams where 
I mean, if you're up north, you you don't really know what to expect out of them. But the thing is, is that when the offense gets going, it could put up 30 points, maybe even more than that. Uh, for Sacramento State, huh? Yeah, for Sacramento State. So it, it is an offense to to kind of watch out for. Um, and so Fresno State cannot take this team lightly. And not, not only that, as we mentioned, too, they're full of guys who came from the Central Valley, from Sacramento all the way down to the Bakersfield region. And, you know, they slipped through the Fresno State cracks. So, again, there's this feeling of knowing that, you know what, these guys have circled this game down. Now, one thing we're going to have to keep an eye on is we're going to we're going to take a look and see what uh, Virgil's going to be, you know, doing. I mean, is he going to look more comfortable in there? Is that injury still going to be affecting him, even though he says that he's a hundred percent? You know, we'll see. Is the running game going to be able to go? As it is, let's go to the defensive side of the football just real quick. Sacramento State did get three sacks against Western Oregon, and the go-to guy for a blitz is going to be outside linebacker Tyree Thompson. He has seven tackles, also had a sack in this contest. So I wouldn't doubt that Thompson is going to get turned loose on Virgil. So, you know, this is going to be a test for the the offensive line uh, to to see a, a pass rush coming up against them. So, you know, like I said, these teams, they don't have anything to lose. So they're going to let loose. So it's kind of going to be interesting to see anybody else on defense that the the Bulldogs are going to have to kind of key in on. Yes. So I'm looking at Keelan Barnes, who had a sack. He was another guy who also had seven tackles. Now, here's the thing with Barnes. He's a DB. So I want to doubt that he's probably the go-to guy if Sacramento State needs a blitz from its secondary. And and Nebraska did that in the last game. They they brought in a cornerback on a on a blind blitz that uh, Virgil didn't see coming. So you know that's something that Sacramento State might be looking at to try to do to duplicate in this upcoming game. And uh, you know what they could have they could find some success if they do it just right. So. Uh, coming from the corner position, if if this corner did this in his last game, chances are they're going to try it again against uh, Fresno State. So, uh, you know, it's it's something that the Bulldogs are going to have to keep an eye on uh, as far as the, the blitzes are concerned. But is mm-hmm. there is there anybody else on the defense that, other than those guys that uh, that are going to stand out? Well, mainly those guys because, you know what, at the end of the day, it's like we could talk about like who the key players from the defensive side of football is. Well, keep the keep in mind that this was still a Sacramento State defense that surrendered 38, 38 points, but also, I mean, surrendered 341 yards of offense, including 152 yards, excuse me, on the ground so Sac State's run defense actually suspect in this game so that might actually be good news for Fresno State's running game yeah I mean that's something that uh, will help with uh, with Fresno State's running game at least the, the the running backs to see a little bit more room and maybe start gaining some confidence because that's going to be key for them um, because they didn't really do much on the ground against Nebraska now going into Sacramento State if they can find some success on the ground that might help with these kids' confidence and, and maybe help boost their play later on down the season. And another key thing to point out as well, I mean, Ketteringham definitely had dual threat presence, and he did have a respectable 370 passing yards against Western Oregon. Well, he also happens to be turnover prone. He had two picks against his Division II defense. Oh, boy. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's good news for, for Fresno State. 
I mean, if they can... All, all signs are indicating that this can actually be... I mean, the, the advantage is on Fresno State's side, as it usually is for an, FB, an FBS team going against an FCS team. But again, it's just that there's this feeling of Sacramento State coming in with their hairs on fire and, you know, wanting to knock out the team that maybe they felt like they were overlooked at and, you know, basically players who slipped away from Fresno State's cracks, so... No, so it should be a good matchup. At least, at least to start off the season here at home uh, for Fresno State, it'll be uh, it'll be a fun one to 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 watch and to attend. I, I'm going to be in the crowd, so I'm going to be there uh, and watch it. This game is not going to be televised. Um, you can probably catch it on the radio. Um, now, I do hear that if you want to watch the game, uh, I believe Campus Insiders is going to be uh, streaming the game. Um, through their, I don't know if, if it's their Twitter feed or what it is through their app, um, but they, I believe that they're going to be streaming the game. So there's an option for that if you wanted to watch it. The joy of on um, the joy of internet. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're they're the, inter, the internet is the real MVP. Well, it's 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 a deal that the Mountain West had come up with with uh, campus campus insiders to allow them to stream um, games on on the internet. So. You know, if you're not able to catch it on the radio or not able to catch it on TV, uh, you know, there's another option. So I would look for that feed if you if you're not planning on attending the game in order to watch them. So join us again. uh, Join us again next week as we continue to break down this game and uh, and also their upcoming game against Toledo, uh, which should be another good matchup, don't you think? I mean, yeah, and you know Toledo's going through a coaching change, so you know we don't know what to expect out of Toledo, but you know it is a pretty respectable MAC program. And and you know what, the game after that one, I'm I'm kind of curious because it's it's the game against Tulsa, and as far as I know, Tulsa Tulsa pretty much dismantled San Jose State, so I think that's going to be another good barometer for the Bulldogs, don't you think? Uh, later on in the schedule. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we'll just have to get ready for it. That being said, Lorenzo, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know how they can find us. At Red Ring Report, once again, at Red Wave Report on Twitter. You also can like the Facebook page, which is Red Wave Report. Give us the thumbs up. And you know what? We're going to continue our ongoing coverage of Fresno State football. And, again, join us back again next week as we continue to break down both of these games and give you all the latest news and updates of Fresno State Athletics. Uh, So that being said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Join us again next time and have fun at the home game.